Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Literacy Podcast. Melissa and Lori love literacy. We are very excited to be here with today with a special guest from from afar. Melissa, I know you uh, you stumbled over uh, the blog, and it was just so exciting to to connect with him. So we were thrilled that he said he would podcast with us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So today we have James Dobson from Australia, which is super cool for us. It's just normal for him. <laughs> but um, what I thought was really great about um, the, the blog post that James had was, you know, he has a similar story to some of their teachers that we've had on our, on our podcast before. But one, it's cool that Honestly, he's in Australia and it's like same things are happening there that are happening here. Um, and yeah, so that's really shifts, cool to right? hear about. <laughs> but mm-hmm. also what I found really interesting, um, and James will tell us so much more about his story, but, you know, he, James started out kind of similar to us, right? Where we're like, um, we thought we learned what we needed to in school, but maybe we didn't. <laughs> um, but then he went to a place where he did learn a lot about what to do to teach students how to read. Um, and then he went back to another school where they're doing balanced literacy. And so now he's like in this place where <laughs> it's back to where kind of where he started. And how do I bring my knowledge of what I learned about what you should do to to where he is now? So that was a really long intro, but I'll let him talk much more about <laughs> his own story. Um, so, James, do you want to say hi to everybody? Hello, everybody. It's an absolute thrill to be here um, talking to wonderful people from the U.S. So, uh, yeah. I think you guys are the uh, far ones. Um, <laughs> as as Mel was saying, you know, I I started off with um, you know four years of a bachelor of education, and really having um, balanced literacy being taught as the way forward. It was sort of seen to be this middle ground in the reading wars, um, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I still have some of my textbooks from them, which from then, which really show. Um, the bias there towards um, multi-queuing and um, a little bit of phonics and phonics being needed but not really um, in a clear sequential way. Um, Yeah. As you were saying, I sort of uh, went to my first school and then landed with a delight. So I was teaching grade three for them. So by that stage you normally expect most students to um, know how to read a bit. Yeah. And I, I had a student, Caitlin, who didn't. Um, she couldn't recognise a single word um, in grade three. Um, <sighs> and so then I, I was there scratching my head going, well, I feel like I shouldn't know what to do. I've had four years of training <laughs> and literacy subjects in every single year of this training, but I didn't know what to do. Um, so... I remember grabbing one of the uh, guided reading books we had um, that I'd been told was about her level and working uh, pretty intensely with her for a week and I think we focused on the words and she and can. Um, And by the end of the week she was starting to grasp them and then I swapped books and I think the next book um, didn't have any of those words. Oh, nice, yeah. Oh. As a first year out graduate, it was either a um, how long do I spend searching for a book for one child uh, when right. I've got 20 other students um, who also need uh, a bit of attention. So it was a really ad hoc approach that I um, used in that first year where I was uh, floundering away, not really quite sure what to do um, there. And I, uh, it was almost like there was a secret. So our school um, did reading recovery. So um, that's... Uh, for those in America who might be thinking that that's an American thing, uh, it actually started in New Zealand, which is just across the ditch from Australia, and we often um, take credit for their ideas. Um, <laughs> but that's that's an idea I'll leave over in uh, New Zealand. I think. <laughs> and it, it was this sort of mythical intervention program where uh, the reading recovery teacher would go and pluck the student out from your class and would go and do some secretive thing and then bring them back. Magic. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and you had to have a lot of conversations to try and work out what was actually going on in those classes. Oh, I imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, for my third year teaching there, I put down a preference to teach uh, what we call prep that you guys call kindergarten. Um, and it's because I, then I thought, okay, maybe I'll learn how to teach reading. I'll learn how to teach beginners, how to read, how to decode. And um, I almost got to teach prep that year, but then um, last minute changes, I missed out. Um, and so then I never really learned this secret. Um, and then I moved to the Northern Territory which was a very different experience. Yeah. Before you, before you get there, I just want to, you already said this, but I just, this quote from your, your blog post was, I quickly realized that I didn't have the knowledge to teach someone how to read from scratch, despite completing a four-year bachelor of education. And I just pulled that out because I know Lori and I talk about that all the time. I was like, we felt the same way. Like, <laughs> I thought mm-hmm. I would have learned it, <laughs> but I just yeah. was not prepared. And it's, I think it's hard for teachers to, be able to be okay with that and say that sometimes it's, it takes a lot to be able to say, I didn't, I don't have what I need or I didn't get what I needed. Yeah. And I love how in your blog post you highlighted in terms of both um, foundational skills and knowledge. So you really attend to, you know, all the components of reading rather than just zooming in on, you know, one or two. Um, I, so I just wanted to, to call that out as well. I thought that was really awesome that you, mentioned all of those components and that foundational piece of knowledge building as equally important as the other pieces. Yeah. Except well, for that you didn't when you were in Melbourne, right? <laughs> that's it. This is a, a bit pride. I, I suppose kind of intuitively you muddle your way. Of course, if you can't decode, it's really hard to comprehend a text in front of you. Um, yeah. But you also need that background knowledge. You need those uh, language comprehension skills to understand that as well. Um, yeah, and um, that that idea that, you know, you put four years um, of effort and four years of quite a bit of financial resources mm-hmm. and you come away not quite knowing, um, I, I think that's a challenging thing um, for educators to admit. And likewise, once you start teaching and have been teaching for a while, or even decades, and then to realise that maybe um, what you've been doing hasn't been the best. That's that's a really challenging thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think a bit later on we'll probably address a bit more of that um, when, I, when, when I come back to Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so take us to the Northern Territory then. <laughs> you moved yes. to the Northern Territory and what happened there? So the Northern Territory, um, so not only did I move to the Northern Territory, but but I, removed, I moved to a remote community in the Northern Territory. So it was a five-hour drive to the nearest supermarket, um, two hours oh gosh. on the dirt road. Um, that road floods for about four months of the year during the wet season. So at that point, you fly in and you fly out um, on little wow. charter planes. Uh, the cool season of the year, it gets down to, and I've done it in Fahrenheit, 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, <laughs> the cool season? That's the minimum temperature overnight low. Um, <laughs> so most of the year round, the maximums are sitting above 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, oh, wow. For your Australian listeners, that's between about 18 degrees and about 30. So um, um, the, the community I was in was an Indigenous community. So um, at our school we had 99% uh, First Nations people attending and um, very disadvantaged, uh, low incomes, not many job opportunities. Um, English is often a second or third or even fourth language. Um, the only place I've really – so if you go to the local shop, so there's a small shop there, um, the only time you would hear English was um, with other white people talking or people talking to you that use English. But um, the rest of the time it was Murrumpatha as the language there. Um, and the effect – of colonization are really still felt in that in communities such as that one um yeah 
I'm learning so much. Thank you for sharing all of this. It's it's so interesting. <laughs> By the way, Lori, I have a map of Australia on the last page of our notes. So if you want to see where these things are. Thank you. I highlighted Thank you for that, them. Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like Googling, like, what is this um, Celsius? <laughs> So, yeah, it really is a world away from what I knew in Victoria. Um, And, you know, nice warm weather, which could be good for swimming, but most of the uh, swimming holes had crocodiles in them. So, oh my gosh. So, the score. Good thing you didn't do that. Yeah, so the school I was at, um, we had a reading program that had been in place for about a decade. And after a decade, there'd been no positive impact and a couple of studies sort of showing there's no demonstrable um, impact here. Uh, so the year I moved, I think a lot of the funding had sort of drifted away from PD. So not only uh, was I told to sort of follow this um, program, but I had very minimal PD to try and implement that program. And at the end of that year, towards the end of that year, I remember sitting around um, in the staff meeting and uh, there was a suggestion that we could trial uh, Engelman's direct instruction, his programs, reading, mastery and corrective reading. And yeah. we, we looked around at each other and we went, well, what we're doing is not working. So <laughs> why not try something different? Why not try something mm-hmm. new? And so yeah. collectively we agreed. It's in our kids' best interest to actually try to do something that may improve them. Yeah, we have nothing to lose and everything to gain, right? Yeah. We heard about uh, Engelman from one of our other guests, too, uh, from uh, James Murphy. He uh, he shared Engelman's uh, direct instruction program as, as being really um, important to his learning as well and to his uh, his studies. And so it's really interesting that you're both sharing that. Yeah, I, I feel like it get um I've now seen it in quite a lot of places, but in that um in that staff meeting when it was suggested that we do this DI program, um, which we normally shorten it to just DI, um what I knew was that it was scripted. And at that point I thought scripts in education were a bad thing. I've changed my mind about <laughs> that quite a bit. And the other bit, the other random fact that I knew. Um, was that President George W. Bush was reading a DI story when he was informed about uh, September 11. So not really a positive, glowing endorsement there. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What Isn't it funny how, like, that was the stuff that your brain connected everything to? You're like, mm, scripts are bad, and this other bad thing happened, and someone was reading it. You know, someone important was reading it. And, and I think that uh, shows the desperation that we kind of were going with, with, well, yeah. but what we're doing is not working, so let, let's go for, let's go for that it. other thing. Um, yeah. So I was pretty sceptical, um, but I was also open to the possibility that um, we could be improving our children's literacy futures. Um, fortunately, over that summer, someone lent me um, Engelman's uh, so that's uh, Siegfried Ingerman's autobiography. Most people call him Ziggy. Um, and that's called Teaching Needy Kids in Our Backwards System. And I read through that and um, I, I was a lot more open after reading that. Um, one of the things that he talks about is something called Project Follow Through, uh, which I don't know if you've come across. I don't think so. I don't think so. We, which is fascinating because it's the largest and most extensive um, experimental project ever in education, <laughs> and it was funded by the U.S. government. And this took place uh, from about 1967 to 77, um, and it included over 200,000 students and 178 different communities. Uh, so wow. how did How have we been in literacy for so long and just not even heard of this? This is so <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to Google it right now, James. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, so there's pretty much the basis was um, comparing a nine different teaching models and trying to work out which one uh, was the most effective. Um, and they compared them on three different aspects. So basic academic skills, 
uh, problem-solving skills and self-esteem was the third aspect that they were looking at. Um, some of the programs were really designed to try and um, nurture that self-esteem. Others were focused more on problem-solving. Uh, DI was probably more focused on the basic academic skills. Um, mm. Engelman's DI uh, actually showed the largest effect in all three areas. So in all three yeah. areas, um, compared to the other nine models, it led the way. Uh, so probably not that surprising with the basic academic skills, but also with the problem solving and the self-esteem, which I think when yeah. you teach kids the skills that they need to be successful, they actually feel really good about themselves and are able to be really yeah. successful. Um, yeah. And actually quite a number of those models uh, showed uh, less impact than traditional teaching would show. So, mm. um, and some of those models. Why? Today. Do you know why? No, I don't. <laughs> we'll do more. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to read podcast. and find out. We'll, yeah, we'll do. We'll read about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you're giving us so much to think about. This is mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I probably could do a whole podcast on uh, direct instruction. My experience. With it. <laughs> um, but quickly, what I saw some advantages when we started implementing it. Um, was that it was just so highly systematic. It wasn't um, me pulling a book and going, oh, what words are in here? What words do I need to teach? What sounds might I need to teach for my kids to be successful in this book? Um, right. There was a really clear sequence of skills. So um, in the reading mastery program, students start learning that A represents an A ah sound, M represents a M, mm, then we've got S for S. We've got an E and they have a special um, orthography which makes it really clear for students that this E um, uh, makes the E sound and then mm-hmm. and then as soon as as soon as they can, um, they then start blending those sounds. So the sounds that they know to form words like am, me, see, Sam. And then as soon as they're able and have sort of enough sounds and then words, it goes into sentences. Um, and while I love it, there's this beautiful little um, arrow which shows you exactly which way to track um, as you're reading along, and then short stories um, progressing into longer and longer stories um, as you go through the years. Um, so some students, when I was leaving, were learning about the Trojan Wars and um, the fact that uh, there, there was a great there's a great story about a fly and that. Um, flies move slower when it's hotter and <laughs> faster when it's cooler, which in um, remote Australia is a very useful fact to know that uh, <laughs> flies around. Um, so it sounds like they were also learning things, like building knowledge while they were uh, while they were reading. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yes, yeah. so lots of uh, knowledge building, especially in the language arts um, side of it as well. So there's the reading side, there's the language arts side. Um, and I think later on when I learned more about the science of reading, I could just see how direct instruction actually covers so many of those areas. There's the phonemic um, awareness in the early programs um, that's built in um, all those aspects. Um, there's a really clear expectation that all students can learn. Um, Ziggy Engelman has a great quote that it's, um, if a student hasn't learned, then the teacher hasn't taught. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really powerful um, expectation. Um, I agree. Yeah. So often we blame the students or it's, you know, it's easy to blame the students and, you know, we can't expect kids to learn things if we haven't taught them. So Mm -hmm. I love that. And and if we're not blaming the students, maybe we're blaming families, you know, maybe they're not Mm -hmm. reading enough or something like that. But um, I think it puts the onus back on the education system. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah. And Yep. Yeah, and I mentioned um, we're reading short stories. Another aspect I love is um, the pictures on the next page. So you can't look at the picture until you've read the story through once. Um, And then you can't cheat. You can't. You can't use the pictures to say the words. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's scripted. 
which I thought was a bad thing, turns out is actually a really nice thing. Um, there's a reason actors in Hollywood use scripts um, and just make it up on the spot. And likewise, musicians uh, in an orchestra aren't all creating their own little pieces. They're following a script. Um, yeah. All together, yeah, right? such good examples, yeah. 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 Um, so what, what we found was the script, well, supported me. I could suddenly, instead of thinking, oh, what am I going to say next? I was able to think about who's actually paying attention, who's engaged in this, who's got this skill. Um, if they haven't, then I can think about um, the bits of the script, the error correction procedures that um, support that. Mm-hmm. So it just alleviated my mental load, which then meant mm-hmm. I could focus on other things in the classroom. Um, and James, I know you mentioned in the blog too that um, you know the script is really important or just having like a curriculum to follow is really important because of um, you mentioned lack of teacher knowledge, like we've already mentioned, right? Like if you don't, if you don't know these things, how are you going to write a whole curriculum about it? So it's nice to have it there. But then also you mentioned teacher turnover too. And I know that that was a big issue for where you were at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huge issue. So um, one of the figures that's quoted is um, in the Northern Territory, um, the average length of stay of a teacher is about nine months in remote communities, which is mm. not even that's a full academic. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's why. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so often we were getting um, teachers, so we might be getting secondary teachers to be teaching in the elementary classes or the primary classes. Um, so <sighs> a ele- uh, secondary uh, science teacher, um, their knowledge of reading may not be the strongest, um, and so, and so, I think I think any secondary science teacher listening to this podcast right now would be like, absolutely, yeah. I agree no, with you. No offense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you are a secondary science teacher, writing. Um, so it supported the teachers. It also really supported the students um, because if the teacher changed. Um, their learning progression didn't. That, um, there's, there's, we knew exactly what skills they'd learned and what skills they needed to learn next. It was really sequential yes. um, to the point where um, one year I was um, doing some literacy support and I would go in and teach one lesson each week to each class and pretty much pick up from where the teacher was the day before, teach my lesson, and then the teacher the next day could carry on um so it was yeah. just really um yeah supportive for the students and their progression um as yeah. opposed to my first year there my grade twos that I got um they'd had six different teachers in the year before I got there oh my goodness yeah. oh yeah I imagine that's I mean just stressful for everyone involved in that situation kids and teachers and mm-hmm. parents and families and everyone administrators hugely hugely and, <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's a really complex um at yeah really disadvantaged area um that there's so many issues there and sometimes you know attendance is appallingly low in many um you know i remember thinking 80 percent was great attendance um and there's so many compounding issues. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly felt that um, getting the reading curriculum right actually actually was one little thing. Now, some people thought that it was going to be a silver bullet and solve all the issues. Um, okay. It solved some, but there's just so many that um, it didn't solve them all. Um, yeah. Yeah. It did, um, it did bolster your, your data, though. Correct? Yeah, so there's some um, positive uh, results. Uh, there was a piece by Noel Pearson, um, a study conducted where they sort of measured and it was about 138% growth, um, which is fantastic. Um, a phenomenal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it said that the growth in, it was over a course of two years and the growth in the same period for, for other uh, schools was 19 to 34%. So... You're yes. Well, I'll just that as well. It's 124, 124% <laughs> growth for um, 
and the flexible literacy program. Yeah, so. So still pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like amazing. I, I'm going to yeah. say amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> that's such good work. I bet, I bet that's something to be so proud of, of, you know, your students and your, your teachers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it wasn't easy it, and really challenging um, still. Um, <laughs> and then, but then we moved, I moved south again Um my second son, uh, my second child was uh, being born, and we wanted to be a bit closer to family than a four and a half hour yeah. plane flight plus a five hour drive. Um, which, oh, man. <laughs> that's not too realistic, right? <laughs> and um, given the last two years and all the, we've had a lot of state border closures um, and lockdowns, uh, so um, reasonably glad to be within a close distance to family over the last two Absolutely. years. Um, and then I applied for jobs in a area around where I lived and um, got a job in central Victoria at a beautiful small school, about 120 students. Um, and we're doing balanced literacy. Uh, <laughs> we're doing balanced literacy. Oh. I remember walking in, seeing the poster up on the wall of Skippy Frog, um, you know, telling you to skip oh, over yeah. words. And then. Oh, yeah, um, skip the it, words. Skip the words. You don't need to read them, James. Don't you know that? You don't need to read the words. <laughs> Which is, is a hugely complex thing to, it's actually quite a complex process to read something, skip a word, miss over a word, and go back and try and apply what. When right. you could just yeah. be looking at the letters in the word and using your knowledge of letter sound correspondences to decode the word. Um, can I tell you? Can I tell you something funny? Is that when I I have this like little thing on my phone and it says "Ask me about my podcast," just you know, on the back of the phone. And so someone asked about it, and I was explaining it to him, and um, I, you know, I, I it said exactly what you just said, like letters have sounds. And when we read, we use the sounds and letters, but some people think we should get our mouth ready to make the first sound. And then just, you can just guess the rest of the word or skip over words. And, um, or, you know, or I was sharing some other strategies, um, that we know don't work. And he like, he, he's a dad and he looked at me, he's like, I mean, this is very confusing. Is this how, I don't understand how people don't think the first thing that you said is reading. I was like, well, I'm just going to tell you your kid learns to read in the second way. <laughs> so like, it's just illuminating, you know, it's illuminating and it's completely yeah. nonsensical when, when you say it out loud like that. It, it tends to make sense to parents um, mm -hmm. you know, that we're not using these strategies. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it tends to just make sense. And um, you know, eagle eyes a great one where you're looking at the picture. Um, I, I had a student in my first year here um, who was reading those beginner chapter novel book, uh, chapter books, um, which have maybe a quarter of one page has a picture on it, and then the other mm -hmm. page and a half or so um, has text. And he'd get to a word, and his eyes would quickly flick to the pic, and it wouldn't matter what the word was, but it's a very small picture. There's lots of words. It's not a useful it's not help very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, try reading Harry Potter without pictures. That's what I've always said as a secondary <laughs> teacher. You know, I'm like, well, what happens when they get to my books that don't have any pictures? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Harry Potter even has nonsense words there. So, uh, Completely. Yeah. You've got to be able to sound them out. Yeah. A lot of them. Uh, <laughs> Don't language. We, uh, yeah. With my prep class this year, I had a bit of fun when um, AstraZeneca, the vaccine um, in Australia, got mm -hmm. rebranded as Vaxevria, I think it is. Um, <laughs> and I put it up on the wall to see if the kids could read that and they could decode it. Um, and this was after listening to the radio of all these people coming in, uh, calling up saying, I can't pronounce that. I can't say, it. and like, well, actually if we decode it, it it's becomes pretty straightforward. Um, yeah. The other, yeah. The other thing my school had done was, uh, uh purchased the Fountas and Pinnell, um, uh, leveled literacy mm. 
intervention, um, which is a huge expense for a small school. So they'd done that the year right. before I got here. So I always sort sure. of went, well, I better toe the line a little bit. And I also didn't know a lot about Fountas and Pinnell. I'd used um, a different benchmarking system called PM, which is very similar, um, just slightly different covers, I think. Um, <laughs> so I, I was also, I suppose, that openly sceptical, all right, it must work, let's, let's see how it works. And then I got more and more into that research and um, that side of things and went, no, it doesn't. Um, and mm-hmm. there's... A recent study I saw was, um, I think it was a recent study, but there was a study going around saying about 50, um, doing the Fountas and Pinnell benchmark, you've got a 50% um, sort of accuracy rate, which isn't, you know, it's much quicker to flip a coin. um, Yeah, how long they take. Um, That also makes me think about if if you're like reading a book, take a page of the book and cover up half of the page with your hand. And then mm-hmm. read it, read whatever half you want, and then turn the page and keep going and keep keep going, keep putting your hand over half the page. I mean, that is your accuracy rate, right? Like that is what you're essentially getting when you do that. So this, this is more about the teacher um, assessing the student at the level. Oh, okay. 50% accurate. Got it. It's not a, it's not a 50% reading rate because that's um, that would be incredibly challenging thing. <laughs> yes, that's what I was thinking. Okay. It's well, one, so, yeah. I don't know if that's actually any better, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in my classroom, the posters came down very quietly. I just sort of, I'll just put this aside for now and see if anyone comments. And no one commented. I was like, good, great. I can keep going. <laughs> um, and I, I kept using the principles of DI or some of the principles of DI. So I tried to make sure that my instruction was really systematic, um, that I was building students up to be really automatic with their knowledge. So um, mm-hmm. uh, another phrase from DI um, was um, we want students to know things as well as their own name. So they should be able to look at the letter S and know that that represents a sound most of the time. Um, and we'll also teach them the other ways, the other sounds it can make. Um, but we want that automatic, um, not that, oh, I'm going to think about it for a second and then go right. because right. that doesn't lead to fluent reading. Right. Um, and this idea of constantly reviewing prior knowledge um, so that skills never completely disappear. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I also had a conversation with the person doing the, um, Fountas and Pinnell, um, support and sort of tried to creep a few more phonics focused, um, things in there for the students. Um, yeah, which I think had a bit, bit of a positive impact there. Um, yeah. So after my first year there, I then took on the role of the literacy coordinator um, and then we had a lockdown, a nice long, <laughs> I think that was a seven-week lockdown, oh, um, yeah. which gave me a bit of a chance to read because I wasn't commuting each day. So I dived in and um, probably then really discovered this thing called the science of reading and um was going, hey, that's kind of what I was doing. But there's actually kind of what you were doing. (laughs) It's it's not just me fumbling along by myself. There's actually a a beautiful community of um like-minded people who've um yeah seen the lights and seen that there's more efficient, (laughs) more effective ways. Yeah, you're Um, among them now. (laughs) Um so then I decided I needed to have a conversation with my principal that um, mm-hmm. this wonderful, pro- this well, this program that we spent a lot of money on um, probably wasn't the best use of our uh, money then, but more importantly, our ongoing costs of resources and time and energy. Um, yeah. James, Sorry. I think we see this question a lot. So I'm really excited for our listeners to hear how you went about this. Because a lot of people are in that similar boat of like, well, what am I supposed to do, right? These are the materials that I'm given. It's what my principal is telling me I need to do. 
um, should I talk to my principal? Should I not? Like, how what, how do I handle this? So I'm, I'm excited for people to hear how you did is just an example of that. Yeah. yeah. And, and look, I had to put on my big boy pants to have this conversation. <laughs> it, it was, it, in my mind, it was one of those difficult conversations. Um, mm-hmm. But like many difficult conversations, it was actually easier to have than I thought it would be. Um, so the f- first thing, I, I made sure I had data um, to support me. And our school's got good good reading data. There's nothing wrong with it. You compare it to other schools um, and we're above similar schools. Um, often we're above the national averages as well um, or state averages. And so what I, I had to comb through a little bit. So I said there's nothing wrong with it. Actually, there was something a bit wrong, and that was that there was consistently a core group of students who were just slipping through that gap. Um, who weren't picking up the skills that they needed. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was able to focus on those students and say, these kids need a bit more support, um, especially early on. Um, The other thing I did was I I was a bit proactive about making sure that if I'm going to suggest that we need to fix something, I've got a solution here Um, (laughs) or multiple solutions. So yeah. uh, one thing was uh, we started introducing phonemic awareness um, and that was a um, – I actually downloaded some um, uh, Hegarty's phonemic awareness um, scripts that they had um, that they were kindly sharing during the summit sample lessons and I, I went, well, let's see how it goes with my class of grade one, twos. And what blew me away, I thought it would be good for my weaker readers but was actually quite a lot of my stronger readers struggled with quite a few of those skills. Um, now, my thinking around phonemic awareness has grown over the last year and a half, and I think we need to make sure that we're linking graphemes as soon as we can into that um, phonic, uh, phonemic awareness um, activity. Um, That's the hard debate right now, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, <laughs> But it is uh, a couple of other things I did was uh, um, introduce um, a phonics program and a structured systematic synthetic phonics um, and start off with that was uh, letters and sounds, which uh, is a UK uh, freely downloadable version. It's not perfect. And in fact, it's um, being semi disendorsed in the UK now because there's better options out there. But for oh, a small school with uh, not, heaps, not heaps of funds, uh, it's free. Um, so it's actually better than nothing or better than ad hoc. Right. Um, yeah. Right. yeah. <clears throat> and I was aware that we were telling teachers that predictable text probably wasn't the right thing to be using. So let's get some decodable text in for us to use. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and the other thing I was saying, let's not use Fountas and Pinnell assessment. So I provided um, Bibbles as another free um, option for us to use. Mm-hmm. And so we've been using that this year. So really trying to think of if we're not doing that, what should we be doing and making sure that um, it, and so many of these were quite cheap to start off with. Um, there's a website in Australia um, spelled SA, um, S-P-E-L-D, essay there might be a hyphen in there um but they have principal decodables so they're the ones that we started with and they're free pr- principal decodables um we've now put more funds into bart purchasing them um mm-hmm. purchasing a variety of them but to start off with let's make it um cheap and um e- easy to use as well um i think building on that easy to use uh, principal was receptive um, and then I started providing some PD for, for all staff um, to try and upskill them. Yeah, that's it's so amazing that you did that. And I, I feel like this really speaks to your learner mindset because that I, you know, I imagine you just being like, I'm learning about this too. <laughs> you know, we're learning about this together. And that being a really important piece in everyone kind of buying into it or, you know, shifting their mindset about how it went. So um, was there anything in particular that you felt like worked? 
Yeah, I think I think that uh, learner mindset, that sort of seeing that I'd, um, I suppose I spent that first year building up a bit of social capital as well, um, sort of saying they'd seen, hopefully they'd seen positive effect in my students and their abilities to read. Um, so that I was able to you know, walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Um, okay. I, I think I'm quite respectful with staff and gentle with staff um, because it can be uh, a big change. You know, some some staff members have been teaching at this school for almost as long as I've been alive. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, they're experienced. They're knowledgeable. Um, yeah. I want to build on that knowledge, not just erase um, things. So yeah. really building, uh, yeah, being respectful. Um, one one activity we did uh, is called the Stroop Effect, um, and I'll hold that up. And if you can see, obviously podcast listeners can't, but I'm hoping um, <laughs> yeah. either okay. Laurie or Mel will describe what they can we see. Can see yes. Do you want to describe it, Melissa? Yeah. So there are. Oh, I'm gonna get like not get this right, but <laughs> letter or <laughs> colors are spelled out like green and yellow but they're in a font that's a different color. So green is the color blue, yellow is the color green. Perfect. Yes. So, <laughs> that's called the Stroop effect. Um, and what it uh, shows is um, what people are challenged to do is they're challenged to read, uh, to say the color that the font is, not read the word. Um, <sighs> and it is really, really hard to do. Um, although I did, um, when I first did it with my staff, I accidentally printed one out where the words just said were in the same color that, they were, <laughs> which they're super effective. You're like, mm, this is really easy. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, it shows, uh, how hard it is to ignore, um, the text and how the mm-hmm. text is quickly processed by orthographic mapping. Um, one of the staff members took it home and did it with his preschooler who blitzed it because the preschooler couldn't read yet. And then <laughs> his wife who struggled. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, is really, really powerful. Yeah, my my three-year-old would be great at it. <laughs> yeah. I imagine too that as your, your, fellow teachers were doing that there and you know it's probably at the beginning of the PD or sometime throughout the PD it's just like a fun activity it was just a big aha moment for them thinking oh gosh yeah that is processing really fast and it's before I can even take a pause to stop my brain from saying the word (laughs) yeah generally um I think I showed you 12 words there but um generally I show a bigger list and what people do is they sort of get this running start and they they start blitzing and the first line they're quite quick but then they get to the second line and it just starts slowing down (laughs) and slower and and that's about the point where I stop them um it, it is really tricky um but it also shows that power of, um, I think I read that um, you can process the word tree quicker than you see an image of a tree and identify that that's a tree. And that's just how quickly we process those things. That's crazy. That kind um, of yeah. stuff blows my mind. <laughs> but I believe that uh, because, you, I mean, you read so quickly. When, when you're yeah. a fluent reader, it goes so yes. so quickly. I mean, to that point, imagine reading a bunch of pictures, like in, you know, cartoon boxes or something versus just reading words on a page. Think of how fast you're, you're reading words on a page. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another great resource uh, and a fellow Australian uh, is Alison Clark, who runs the Spellphabet website, and that's spelt S-P-E-L-F-A-B-E-T. And one of her videos, um, she replaces uh, the code that a student might, mightn't know with wingdings. Um, so, and then. Uh, Which might be the it. most frustrating font ever created. <laughs> and so she's got predictables there with the wingdings and you just see what a, how predictable um, text just force you to look at the picture. Um, that, that's what they do um, 
you're using the repetition and whatever the picture is, um, mm-hmm. which isn't actually reading. Looking at the pictures, not reading. Um, right. Yeah. That is right. <laughs> and again, like with my conversation with the principal, if I'm saying no to something, I've got to say here's something is. I think that's something um, that worked really well with staff is if I'm taking something mm-hmm. away, especially something that you've used maybe for decades, um, then I need to give you something and I need to make it easy and I need to make it accessible and I need to make it something you can do maybe tomorrow or maybe next week and I need to support you in that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was um, very, yeah. We're not using um, the predictables now. Let's bring in decodables and let's look at how we can just focus on the code that students know. Um, really powerful. Yeah. And, and then to, did you – oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you go, Laurie. Did you, did you have any, um, like, aha moments or along the way or did your principal – like, I'm just – I'm wondering if like your school or your, did I, am I queuing you up for the next thing? I'm not meaning to, but I, I also don't want to interrupt your thought process. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a lovely moment. Um, was, I haven't mentioned this to you. So um, where one of the most experienced teachers on our staff, as she was watching that spell for bet website, um, I was sitting next to her and just her face of going, Oh, I'm doing that. And that realization for her, and then her seeking me out afterwards going, how can I, you know, improve this? How can I um, fix this? Um, was really powerful and um, just shows what phenomenal staff I get to work with. But I think most teachers are pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah. <laughs> and not to be in the profession for the money. We tend not to be in the profession for the holidays um, that we supposedly get. Yeah. Um, we're in the profession because we care about our students and we want the best for all our students. Um, Mm -hmm. So the other challenge was at the start of the year, um, I ran, uh, uh, I was going to call it professional development, but it was just um, a session for parents where I went through our new literacy approach and that was really Mm -hmm. important because um, quite a number of parents had uh, been to sessions before where we'd been suggesting look at the pictures. In fact, a lot of our department's materials right. at the start of the year, uh, my daughter was starting uh, prep um, or the foundation or the kindergarten year um, at a different school and the material that was coming home from the department was saying, look at the picture. Oh, yeah. Um, You're like cringing. No, don't look at the picture. <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> So I ran a session for the parents at the start of the year where we went through um, sort of the six components of reading, um, of oral language, uh, comprehension, vocabulary, phonics, phonemic uh, awareness and fluency and how the school was building those and also what they could do at home to support those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure. I called them takeaways and had a nice image of a fish and chips or hamburgers. A bit later in the year, about April, so our school year in Australia runs from January to December. Um, Today's our last day of the school year, so this is a perfect way to celebrate. Um, Celebration with a podcast. (laughs) Summertime. That's it. So about April I had some parents – Write, write a note to me saying, oh, our, our daughter's not being challenged. Um, and I wrote back saying, please come and have a chat to me um, and I'll talk about why you think these books are easy and why they're actually not easy for your ch- your daughter. Um, and so we, we had a good, good discussion. Um, grandma was a reading recovery trained teacher and... Oh. Um, so sort of ingrained in that whole language moving into balanced literacy approach. Um, and one, one of the things that struck me there was the moment I said that we read lots of other texts, uh, we read lots of other books, we read picture books and we enjoy them and explore them. 
um, to build comprehension, um, I could see the parents relax a bit and sort of mm. saw, okay, there, there's a bit of a myth that maybe all I'm doing is um, showing kids phonics stuff and that's it. Right. That's not it right. at all. We're doing so much around building background knowledge and all those things. Um, earlier this week I had another chat with those parents, um, end of year chat, and uh, the comment they made was that they really appreciated the rigour um, and that she's had an amazing foundation year. Um, wow. And the quote there is, uh, she's teaching us things we never knew. And I'm just going, whew, that's. Uh, <laughs> Who would have thought, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, although parents are a similar vintage to me, so probably quite a bit of schooling was whole language approach. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was really powerful. And, you know, I've got so many, um, my preps uh, were with their grade six buddies. Uh, we we're planting seedlings and I got them to tell them, tell their grade six buddies, the four things that plants need, because that's something we'd covered in our um, comprehension units. Um, and that's so cool. I could see the grade six buddies going, <laughs> how do you know this and uh likewise yeah. when they're talking about deciduous and evergreen trees and other kids in the school are looking around going what does deciduous mean um and these are the youngest kids in the school so um they're kids now yeah. yep <laughs> yeah so i think parents get it and i there's a number where i've i'm teaching their second child and I taught their older child earlier and they just sort of see the difference in approach and it's just been overwhelmingly positive um, from the parents who've seen the difference. Um, And there's a real snowball effect as well with staff where they're taking a lot more initiative. Um, Our grade five, six teachers really pushing ahead with um, vocabulary instruction and really making that um, explicit and a core part of his instruction. Um, and last Monday we had a planning day where we sat down and created instructional models for the um, prep, the kinder to grade twos, and then the three to sixes um, as well. Where, yeah, we're you know we're thinking of how we're tweaking phonemic awareness to include more graphemes into it. Um, we're fine tuning our phonics approach. Um, where. I'm excited that we're going to be implementing another direct instruction program. Uh, this one's called Spelling Mastery. So that's a spelling program. So we'll be doing that next year. Uh, we're doing a lot around building background knowledge and choosing um, rich texts that help build background knowledge, especially um, mm-hmm. and, and more complex texts in the upper years. Um, so some really good novels being selected there. Um, thinking about vocabulary, morphology, and etymology of words. Um, and uh, building fluency as well and different ways to build fluency, which I know you've done a one, wonderful podcast around uh, fluency with um, Tim Rosinski. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sounds like you're, you're just running the whole gamut of all of the needs of your students and, and your readers, really. They're so lucky to attend the school where you're doing all of this good work at. Well, I think I'm pretty lucky to get to teach them, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a mutual thing. I also love that when parents came to you and, and like it is as a teacher that is um, always a little daunting when parents are like, my child's not being, uh, you know, given enough rigorous stuff or rigorous work. And you're like, um, okay, yes, but this isn't all we read. And I, I love that you you started off like that. Like you, you know, it, it was something that you're just like, I'm sharing all of this great information with you to build your knowledge about what your child does all day in school. And yeah, I think that's, especially with the pandemic happening, I know it, it feels less transparent than ever as a parent. I mean, it felt very transparent when we were all virtual and now it's like much less transparent. <laughs> yeah. We, we did have a seven-week lockdown this year as well where it became very transparent um, and they could see <laughs> exactly um, what, what we're doing virtually as well. And that explicit instruction really helps vir- on the virtual side. Um, that's why I, I bet. Um, yeah. yeah. That's great. 
Well, James, as we are ending the podcast, you know that we always ask for a piece of advice. So you can give advice about anything you would like to for our listeners, but I'll just prep a little if you'd like to give some advice for the people out there that might find themselves in a balanced literacy environment that might be wondering how to handle that. That'd be great. But if you don't have that, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Any any advice that you have? Oh, you know, that's good advice. Whether or not it's good advice, that's the that's up to you to decide. But I think um, the first piece of advice is be open um, and be, be open that things might change. Uh, you know, um, 18 months ago I was learning about, formally learning more about phonemic awareness and over that time my changing my thinking has changed because I've been open. Um mm-hmm. Don't fall for everything, though. Um, <laughs> but be open. Good, I suppose it's that sceptically open. Be sceptically open. Um, I like that. Um, in terms of if you're in balanced literacy and how you change, um, um, there's, a, there's a great line by another Australian, uh, Dr. Pam Snow, um, Dr. Pamela Snow, mm-hmm. um, who um, says, uh, oh, She's the one I heard it from, where you've got to hasten quick, uh, hasten slowly. And <laughs> I think that's a really important way of um, changing. You've just got to, you feel like, like you've got to do things so quickly, but you can only do, do so many things at once and you actually have to kind of pace it out and um, mm. make sure you're not. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that, James, the next time that I look at my, I'm going to put it over here, my, my stack of books that I'm have. <laughs> held close to read. And I'm like, I need to read all of these books. I'm going to hasten slowly. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah. And I think um, making sure that you're respectful of people's experience and mm-hmm. um, that all educators are really in here in the business for, because they care about the students and they care about all the students. And uh, I think, you know, the science of reading is the best way of supporting all our students um, to learn how to read and not just leaving it up Mm -hmm. to a bit of chance. Absolutely. Well said. One thing that struck me is that it, uh, you know, you expected it to help your, your struggling readers, but it actually helped your, your solid readers too. And that's, was it, that's a takeaway for me, especially I, um, I think that's a misconception. So that's something that, uh, really stood out to me from this conversation. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for your advice and for your incredible conversation and for your amazing post that prompted this whole shebang to happen. So thank you. And yeah. uh, if, if you want to be openly skeptical, there's a blog um, that I write called, uh, you can find it at laying the foundations. So we'll link dot com. Yeah. Uh, and it's a nice pun there um, because foundation is what um, we're meant to call the kindergarten year in Australia, but most states still stick with what they used to call it. Oh, so. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> we knew we, knew we invited you on because you were witty. That's why. <laughs> it's only taken an hour for you to discover that I'm witty. That's very good. Um, if, if you want some... Uh, maybe witty stuff. Um, I'm also on Twitter at JDT Dobson, D-O-B-S-O-N. Um, so you can find me there as well. Yeah, I will link both of those in the show notes, James. So people can just click if they'd like. And we also uh, have a newsletter. So we'll highlight you as a feature in our newsletter the week That's after amazing. your podcast comes out. So your podcast will come out on a Friday and newsletter comes out on Tuesday. So everyone can read your 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 blog and follow you on Twitter right away. So I know they'll be so excited to get in touch with you or or to creep on over and and learn more about you. Excellent. <laughs> I love talking to people about education and literacy in particular, but anything education. So um yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you. Well, this so is nice wonderful. To meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you, James. Have Enjoy a good laugh. I know. Have a good summer. (laughs) And have a great Christmas, you two. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening, Literacy Lovers. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com. Yep. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Most of them are at Literacy Podcast. Yes. And please, please, please reach out to us. Melissa, what's our email address? Melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com is our email address. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. Thank you, everybody.